Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. Good to be back with all of our listeners once again. So thankful again to have this opportunity to be with you, for all of us to get together and open up God's Word and study together a little bit more from those rich teachings and truths. I know that many of you may be listening while you're in your car or maybe at work. You may be busy doing something where you cannot stop and actually open up the Bible and follow along, but certainly you can listen and you can take note of what's being said. And uh, many of you already have something of a working knowledge of the scriptures. And so that's good. So you can, again, take note and you can follow along in your mind as to what we're studying uh, on the program each day. We're thankful that you're there. We really are. And we're thankful that we're able to be here with you. And uh, again, to dig a little deeper into God's word. I know that uh, a lot of Programs like this probably do more talking about the Bible or just talking on a more philosophical basis, perhaps, than what we do here on Search the Scriptures. We do exactly as the name of the program suggests. We get into God's Word. We really do. We dig deep. We look at it in detail. But we try to explain it in a way that is easy to understand and that makes sense for your daily life. We want to help you come closer to God by building your faith in Him. And as we keep emphasizing, the scriptural formula for developing and building faith is Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Or more simply put, faith comes by hearing the word of God. So it's not something that some people get bestowed upon them and then withheld from others. If you want faith in God, if you want your faith to be stronger in God, then get into his word. Get into his word on a diligent and consistent basis, and your faith will grow. It will grow stronger and stronger, and as that happens, you should be coming closer and closer to God. We want to help you come to God all the way, through his Son, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you come to make that point of commitment where you say, okay, I want to walk with God. I want to be forgiven. I want to be redeemed. I want to be saved. And so you come to him through Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in him openly as God's son and your Lord and Savior, surrendering to him in baptism, at which point the blood that he shed on the cross still is 100% effective to cleanse you of the guilt of your sins. And then you come up out of that watery grave of baptism, reborn spiritually, made new, as Paul put it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. You get a do-over, a new start, a new lease on life with a new direction, and that is toward heaven, and a new hope, eternal life with God and Christ and the Holy Spirit in heaven itself. Our prayers are with you and our prayers are for you. Now, at the end of the program, we'll tell you how you can contact us, as we always do, and you can ask for a free Bible study. We always offer it. It's always free. All you have to do is ask. We'll even take care of the postage. So have a pencil or a pen and a piece of paper ready, and you can jot down that information at the end of the program. You can also ask for a copy of today's program on CD, and again, it's free, and we'll take care of the postage. So have that pencil or pen and piece of paper ready, and we'll give you that information in just a little while. 
Today we're going to continue our study, and we're really deep into this already. We'll be coming toward the conclusion of this particular study very shortly, and that's entitled, Everything Changed One Day. We're focusing, of course, on Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, and we have been looking at that particular chapter from God's Word in a very perceptive way. Now, most of us, perhaps, have read Genesis chapter 3 maybe many times, and we know that it's the account of where Adam and Eve sinned. They fell into sin. The devil came and tempted them. They were in the Garden of Eden, and the devil lured them into sin, and they succumbed, and they became sinners. Well, we kind of read over that particular chapter, and it probably impresses us quite a bit as to what happened, but I'm not sure that most of us, if any of us, have ever really dug deep into kind of between the lines and recognizing just how cataclysmic what they did was, not only for themselves, but for mankind and the world as a whole. As I've said, everything changed that day. So when the devil came in and tempted Eve, now Eve did not have to sin, her choice was entirely hers. She gave in to the devil's temptation. He taking the form of a serpent, very alluring and very persuasive, but she knew what God had told her and her husband to not do, and that was to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God told her, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. The devil said, oh no, you'll not die, but you'll become like God, knowing good and evil. Well, that was very, not only deceptive, but it was also a lie. It was partial truth in one sense, in that they certainly would come to know good from evil. They would become sinners. Now, the idea that they would not die was a complete lie. And so the devil tempted Eve, and she gave in, and she thought that the tree, or the fruit of that tree, was good. In fact, verse 6 of Genesis chapter 3 says, So when the woman saw that the tree, the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So the devil not only lured her into into sinning, but he used her then to lure her husband into sinning. Now we pointed out a number of things that became obvious changes in their reality on that day. When Eve took of that fruit and ate in disobedience to God, at that moment, on that day, everything changed. And I mean everything, not just for her, not just for her to the extent that she ultimately lured her husband into sin, but I mean for her and her husband and all humanity who would follow them as a result of their sin. And also for the world. The world changed on that day. Now think about, again, what happened. They were no longer innocent. When you conclude the second chapter of Genesis, after God had created the woman for the man and brought them together and instituted what we understand today as the relationship called marriage. Verse 
25, the last verse of Genesis chapter 2 says, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. There was no sin. They were not sinful. They were not sinners. They were innocent. But now once they sinned, again, their perspective completely changed. Verse 7 of chapter 3 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now then they heard the sound of God walking in the garden, verse 8 says, and they hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden, as if they could truly hide from God. But God called out to them and asked Adam, where are you? Verse 9. In verse 10, he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And then God, and God is very skillful in this. I'm sure God knew exactly what had happened, and at the instant that it happened, but he was calling them to account. And so God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. So Adam was not only blaming it on his wife, but he was also blaming it in a sense on God because God created her and gave her to Adam. And so when she spoke up and God asked her, what is this that you have done? Verse 13, the woman blamed it on the serpent. And of course, simply the devil was taking the form of the serpent. And so the serpent, she said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So God pronounced judgment upon the serpent and and upon the devil. That was the real judgment that was being pronounced there. But at that particular point, and we look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 as the first messianic prophecy, as we call it, the first prophecy of the coming of the Savior. And so God said in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3, speaking to the devil through the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So the devil would cause some persecution. He would antagonize our Lord when he came to this earth as man to go to the cross to be the Savior, to give his life thereon as the ultimate sacrifice. But ultimately, Christ would crush the head of the devil and be completely victorious. And then God began to pronounce judgment upon the woman, as we saw. In verse 16, he told her that he would greatly multiply her sorrow and her conception. So she would bear more children, but her sorrow and pain would increase. In pain, you shall bring forth children. And her desire would still be for her husband. And God said, he, her husband, would rule over her. So things changed. Things changed. We don't read of pain. Now, when God says, in pain, you shall bring forth children, when he says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow, then perhaps they experienced some degree of pain. Oh, but it was going to become much worse. And still her desire would be for her husband, but now the husband would rule over her in a pronounced way, God says. And then God pronounces judgment upon man. 
In verse 17, he tells man, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. And he tells the man, you're going to have to work for a living. And the idea is you're going to have to work hard for a living and your work is going to be less than completely efficient and productive. All the days of your life, you shall toil to eat of the ground, and thorns and thistles the ground shall bring forth. So again, less than completely efficient and productive would his work be. You shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. And then he pronounces the sentence of death upon Adam and Eve and all of humanity. Now, they have already died spiritually, become separated from God because of their sin. And you see that in, in, in a very, again, upfront way when they hid themselves from God. Now that would indicate, I think that would indicate that they had enjoyed a personal relationship with God up until that moment when they disobeyed God in sin and became sinners. Because they heard the voice of God in the garden and they hid themselves, and God spoke directly to them, and they spoke directly to God. Oh, but that changed when they sinned. And now God pronounces the judgment of death. They're going to die physically. They've already become separated from God spiritually. That's spiritual death. And God recognized that they were going to need a Savior to bring them back into a right relationship with him, and that would cause the death of his son, Christ, on the cross. That would necessitate sending his son in human form into this world. And then he tells Adam in verse 19, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And then they would be removed from the garden. Now, they would be removed from the garden because God would no longer allow them to have access to the tree of life, the fruit of which would sustain them physically, would allow them to continue to live physically as long as they continued to eat of that fruit. So God expelled them from the garden, and he placed, uh, he, he placed uh, a cherubim, an angelic being, at the entrance of the garden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So they no longer had access to the tree of life in this world and in this life. You know, it's interesting, too, that there's no record of animals dying before sin entered the world. But when you look at verse 21 of Genesis chapter 3, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin or coverings of skin and clothed them. Well, that skin had to come from someplace. It was from animals. And so animals actually were sacrificed, gave their lives so that God could cover up Adam and Eve because of the shamefulness of their nakedness now due to sin. They were no longer innocents. Now they were sinners. Animals had to die to provide their covering. In Genesis chapter 4, we find another stark reality that happened as a result of their sin. We find Adam and Eve having two sons, Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel were 
instructed by God as to how to worship him through sacrifices. They were to offer animal sacrifices. Now we have to go to to uh, Hebrews chapter 11 to kind of understand the fuller nature of God's instruction to them. It looks like in Genesis chapter 4 that they simply came to their own decision. But obviously they were instructed by God because whatsoever you know, faith comes by hearing the word of God and God instructed them and held them accountable for his instructions. Now, Abel offered the animal sacrifice. Cain offered a sacrifice of the produce of the land. And God respected Abel and his offering, but he disrespected Cain and his offering. And Cain became angry with his brother. Now, I suspect he was probably angry with God, too. But he acted out against his brother. And so in verse 4 of Genesis chapter, I'm sorry, verse 8 of Genesis chapter 4, the text reads, Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, and his brother killed him. His brother killed him. Now murder became a reality in the existence of mankind. Now, what was that from? It was because man now had become sinners. Sin became a reality in the consciousness of their life. I wonder how Adam and Eve felt when they found the body of their dead son and came to understand that it was a result of the anger and bitterness of their other son, that he had struck out against his brother and murdered him. I wonder if Adam did not, at that moment and many times thereafter, weep tears and hang his head in shame and wonder, what have I done? What have I done? Remembering how it had been before he disobeyed God and became a sinner, and how dramatically things had changed since sinning against God. What have I done? But that wasn't all. In Genesis chapter 6, we come to the point where mankind had become dreadfully evil on a continuing basis. Maybe we should say a continuous basis. Because Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The next verse says, The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And the next verse says, So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. And if that was the end of the text, it would have been the absolute doom of mankind. But the next verse says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But for Noah and his family, but for God's grace toward Noah and his family, human, humanity would have been wiped clean from the face of the earth because the wickedness, the evil of their thoughts and intents of their heart was only evil continually. That's hard to imagine. What a horrible place the world must have been at that particular time. 
Now, Adam was no longer alive, but when you look at it in consideration of the span of time that had gone by, he had not been dead all that long. He must have seen the consciousness of mankind, the behavior, the actions changing continually to the point that he died. He must have looked around him and saw how evil had become, was becoming more and more predominant. And again, I wonder if he did not at times just hang his head and maybe have some cold chills go up and down his spine, goosebumps coming up and perhaps again shedding tears and wondering, what have I done? What have I done? Because you see, it all was a result of his sin back in the garden so long ago. When he and his wife rebelled against God, disobeyed God, and sinned, that changed everything. That changed humanity because now humankind were sinners. And so evil and sin was a reality in the world and in the conscience of mankind. Everything changed. And so God destroyed the world with water. That's the flood of Noah's day. Destroyed mankind except for Noah and his family. And destroyed almost all of the beasts of the field, the animals of the field and the birds of the air. Through that cataclysmic judgment action on God's part of the worldwide cataclysmic flood. Because Adam and Eve opened the barn door of sin, humanity became so exceedingly sinful that God destroyed mankind from the face of the earth, save for the one family of Noah. We're going to stop and park here. We'll come back and continue this study next time. Hopefully, prayerfully, you're seeing just how horrible sin is and how far-reaching the repercussions of sin can be. It is not something to be played with. It is not something to be just given a wink and a nod and ignored. It is dreadfully and eternally deadful, dead, uh, uh, deadly. Please pay attention. And we'll continue this study, and we'll talk about what can you do. In just a moment, we'll tell you how to contact us. Write down that information, and then contact us. Ask for that free Bible study. It can give you the direction you need to turn your life around and to be with God in eternity. We hope to hear from you right away.